Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. All right, welcome to Lucky 13s. We are Draft 412. we got a special guest here by the name of Chris Mack. You all know him. Odyssey Radio. He's been around the Pittsburgh area. You, you're back in the ESPN Pittsburgh days, too, right? The, yeah, I, 1250 ESPN. I mean, I go as far back as, like, B94 K Rock. Uh, so, yeah, I've been around a bit. And this is Joe uh, Kuklis over here. I'm John Toth. I want to thank Mike Pistelli. He's not here right now. He's the owner of this beautiful bar. He couldn't be here tonight. He's a Brentwood guy. We're all Baldwin guys up here, so he's going to boo. We're all Baldwin guys from different years. Um... Great food on the menu. If you want some food, there's some wraps, there's some uh, quesadillas, there's wings, anything you'd like to get. Good beer, good alcohol. We got a couple guys here ready to go play deck hockey tonight, so we're gonna we're gonna get this moving. And guys, let's talk about the six and three Pittsburgh Steelers who have been outgained legitimately in nine straight games. Um, Chris, what do you think? I mean, how are they? Do how are they pulling this off? Is it luck? Uh, if you dig into some of the numbers that I've looked at, and I wrote about this on Monday, Sunday night, Monday morning, what it comes down to is this is an opportunistic defense, and they're forcing turnovers. They're coming up with it at timely moments. I mean, it all it drives all of us nuts, I think, that this is, what, the 28th-ranked defense in the league against the run or whatever it is, yeah. right? And you'll see long drives put together against them multiple times every single week, and you go, my God, why can't they just get off the field? Why can't they get off the field? But then inevitably, they shut it down with a field goal, or you get a big turnover. You get Joey Porter picking off Lamar Jackson, or T.J. Watt stripping the ball, and Alex Highsmith picking it up, or vice versa. So it's really been all about their pass rush win rate, or just purely sacks, 
coming at the right time, or turnovers, really. I mean, that's what they do. They turn the ball over. They get the best turnover margin in the league. They're tied in that number. And a lot of that is ask Pickett not to screw up, which he hasn't been great, but he hasn't screwed up too much, and force the opposing quarterback to make those mistakes, like they did to Jordan Love, like they've done to Lamar Jackson, like they've done to Matt Stafford, like they've done week after week, really. You look at each of those six wins, you can find a play at some point in each of them where the defense came up with a big play, whether it was a turnover or a, a, a timely sack or whatever. They shut down a drive when they absolutely had to. So if you want to call that lucky, I guess you can. I look at it with their defense, with their high-end talent on defense, especially once Minka gets healthy and gets back. This is a defense that's built on the big names, on Watt, Hayward, Fitzpatrick. they got a couple young guys who are coming into their own, like Benton up front. Porter, obviously, on the backside. And I think it is sustainable. I, how sustainable? Like, you look at their schedule, JT. They could win another four or five games, no problem. And they're a wild card team. And can they do anything once they get there? Ugh. If they got to go to Kansas City or go to Miami in the playoffs, I'm not holding my breath. But if they face a division rival in the playoffs, would you be shocked if they went to Baltimore and, and won a game in January or Cincinnati? For that matter, I wouldn't be totally shocked, or even Jacksonville for that matter. That game was a lot closer than the 10-point score indicated. So um, I, I, I don't believe that it's luck. I think it, this is the way they built this team, is to ask the quarterback not to make mistakes and have your defense be opportunistic. So like it or not, it may not be pretty, but that's what they are. They're a 6-3 and three team. A lot of good points there. Hey, Joe, what do you think? I know people in Pittsburgh, it's, it's, always, it's only two things they talk about, Canada, Pickett. Where do you see this at right now? The last couple of weeks, it seems like Pickett has had more time but really hasn't performed any – actually hasn't performed as well, I would think, the last couple of weeks with, with the extra time. What do you think the problem actually is? Is it Pickett or is it Canada? Well, I, first of all, I think it's a mixture of both. Uh, you've got a guy who should be playing better – he has finished his first season in the NFL now, right? He played part of, what, six games last year as a starter. He's going into game 11 this week or game 10 this week. Uh, that's a full season under his belt, and he should be getting better. I think Steve Young said it best 20 years ago when he, he said that a quarterback in the NFL every 20 games jumps up another level. And I think we're, we should be expecting to see that from Kenny Pickett, and we just – we just haven't. He's been doing exactly what Chris has said, which is game management. He's not making the big mistakes. Uh, he's not throwing the, the untimely interceptions. He's doing what is, is being asked of him. And let's face it, you know, he's not playing with the best assets either, right? So Deontay Johnson was out for a while. They haven't used um, uh, you know, Allen Robinson in the way that they could as a possession receiver. George Pickens, as, as much as he's a talent, he's also a problem for them. Fryermuth was injured. They haven't been able to work Washington in the game the way they did. And frankly, up until the last two games, the offensive line hasn't been as good as they should be. You know, with all the free agent acquisitions and the money that they spent, coupled with the draft picks that they spent, you know, just the last two games we've seen Broderick Jones, and there's a marked difference in the run game. that They're legitimately running the ball well. You know, and let's face it, Najee hasn't lived up to his billing as a first-round draft pick, and uh, that hurts too. And we just heard today that, um, you know, I guess Tomlin announced that Jalen Warren is going to be the official starter. I don't know why he announced it with running back by committee system that he has going on, but he did. And so it's hard to really 
blame Kenny? I mean, he's still just as finishing that first year. He's built basically just shedding his rookie skin. Uh, but there's got to be some blame put there. The other side of it is Matt Canada's offense is just very vanilla. If, if you know anything about football, if you know anything about schematics, when the other team knows that you're running or your own players are complaining to the point where they're getting benched because they know it's the same plays, that's either on your offensive coordinator for not being more creative or that's on your quarterback for not being able to manage a broader game plan. And my sense is that it's more than likely on Matt Canada because we saw it last year. We're seeing it this year, whether it was Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, or Pickett. I just think he's a he's a college OC playing in the pro game right now. I just think he's misplaced. Do you have anything to add to that, Chris? That's you. You can't put the mic down. Can't put it down. Okay. I was just gonna say, um, I, I think that it, Joe makes some good points about it being a little bit of both. I think, though, this is what happens when you have a guy who is not, whether you like it or not, he, he was drafted in the first round. And so our expectations of Kenny Pickett, I think, are outsized. Um, we expect him to be a real impact first-round draft pick quarterback. And there are times, I mean, what, probably a little less than 25% of the time, because he'll put together a drive in the fourth quarter here and there, where he looks like that guy, or at the very least looks like an impact starter. But the more often than not, he doesn't look like that. It's it's already, you know, I get it. He's only a year into it. You know, Joe makes a good point. He's only shedding his rookie skin, so to speak. But I think that's enough track record to look at a guy and say, you know, he's not the first-round caliber QB we thought he was going to be. He could be an effective starter. He could be that game manager, which everybody looks at as a, as a bad term. But, you know, more quarterbacks around the league these days are game managers than they are superstars necessarily. So it, it, this is what happens when you have a game manager quarterback and, as Joe put it, a vanilla offense. You put those two things together, there's very little risk. You have to have a successful running game. Your offensive line has to kick the asses of everybody in front of it. And if they don't do all of that, then you end up three and out, three and out, three and out, and your defense has to save the day. And that's exactly what we've got, an uncreative offense – with a, a vanilla offense with a vanilla quarterback. Like, there's no better way to put it. And so there's nothing there to lift. Like, you can look at some situations and say, okay, uh, let's use Josh Allen as, as an example. Josh Allen is an inconsistent quarterback who's capable of great things but also capable of totally making a mess of himself. He had an offensive coordinator who wasn't able to get the best out of him on a more consistent basis, right? Ken Dorsey. Now, the Bills have been much faster than the Steelers to make a move in that regard. But you can also take a really good offensive coordinator or offensive play caller, Kyle Shanahan, and take the last pick of the draft, Brock Purdy, and turn him into a star. So we don't have either one of those things here. We've got average quarterback, average to below average coordinator, and so what you get is a, a vanilla offense. And I do think, though, that to an extent, they expected it to be more successful, I think. But to an extent, this is the way they build it. Like, when you build it around Watt and Hayward and Minka, and then go out and continue to build it around Benton and re-sign Highsmith and bring in Porter, then you're building, you're clearly saying, this is a defense-first team, and on the offensive side, we're going to have to lean on the run game. Like, we're going to go old-school Steelers football. And if that's what they're going to do, then, hey, the last two weeks, it's worked. I'll take it. 
Um, but they they had to have a lot of things go right the last two weeks in order to make it work. Um, so that is a long way of saying vanilla quarterback, vanilla offense. But I, I think they're okay with it being that for right now because they know they might be maxing out the ceiling of what they can get from Pickett. And they know for sure that they've maxed out the ceiling of what they can get from Cam. I think there's one other thing I'd like to mention we haven't talked about yet. It's strength of schedule. I mean, the Steelers are the beneficiaries of a, of a third-place schedule that has really impacted the ability to win some of these games. And they've won the games they should have won. You know, they got blown out by San Francisco. They lost to Jacksonville, even though that was, a, you know, basically at one point in that game, it was a toss-up game. Uh, that was one they kind of gave away. You know, but ultimately, the Tennessees of the world, the Green Bays of the world, we have Arizona coming up. We have Seattle coming up. We have this game against Cleveland next week. And guess what happened? Their starting quarterback goes on IR for the rest of the year this this uh, you know this this afternoon. So like I, I think it really opens up the door for them to crawl in. Now, do they hang around as a as the AFC North champs? Probably not. I think talent will will out by the end of the season, and we'll see either the Bengals or the Ravens in that role. But I do think. Right now, they're ticketed for a wild card spot, and I think this is exactly what Omar Khan has expected. I mean, as, as we look into this, I mean, look, you know, sometimes you go out there and you see Kirk Cousins when you look at Kenny Pickett. Other times you see a young Russell Wilson. I mean, the guy's brought come back from how many games already? Out of 16 starts, he's had, what, eight comebacks? Was, is that the number? I he's 13 and five. Yeah, it's, it's hard to argue against results, and you're right. I mean, Brock Purdy's a game manager, and he's got a bunch of wins. I mean, it's hard... I mean, even Jalen Hurts was drafted in the second round, and they thought they were going to convert him to a tight end. Sometimes guys need time. You know, and Josh Allen stunk his first year and half of his second year. You know, and they thought he was a bust too. And I'm not saying that Kenny's going to rise to that level, but I'm not saying he's not either. And I think that's something we'll have to wait and see. But I think strength of schedule's played a lot into this. The one guy they always compare Pickett's numbers to in his career is, is Trevor Lawrence. His first 18, 19 starts in Jacksonville, his numbers are very comparable except for the fact that Pickett has a winning record, and Pickett has brought the team back a lot more times than, than Trevor Lawrence. You as a sports fan, Chris, and a guy that watches football all the time and knows a lot about football, when is enough enough with Pickett? Though? When do you have to... Well, I, I think it's... This could be two different answers. Like, from our perspective, I, I think it's going to range anywhere from, like, that first year that Joe mentioned earlier all the way up to, like, a year and a half worth of starts, right? And for us, it, we, we look at it and say, okay, we, we've seen what this guy can max out as. Um, we know how the Steelers operate, though, and like it or not, I know it's frustrating at times, like they're going to give him more time. They're going to let him breathe. Um, they're not going to let, – let's, let's just – let's play it out logically, okay? Let's say they win another four games down the stretch and they're 10-7 and seven and they go into the playoffs as a wild card. You think for a second they're going to, you know, they're going to – chop the young quarterback's head off and move on to something. No, they're not in a million years going to do that. They might move on an offensive coordinator because, again, they know they've maxed out on Matt Canada, but they'll simply look for a different OC that, in their mind, they think can extract more from Pickett. They'll give it another two years. By that point, you're almost through the rookie contract if you don't pick up the fifth-year option, and now you can go about looking in other directions for another quarterback. But I think settle in. Like He's not, he's not going anywhere. Like, not after this year. Even if they were to, let's say, only win two or three games down the stretch, they're not pulling the plug on Kenny Pickett until they get another full year as a starter at least. I think they're going to give him the full length of the rookie contract. So at least another year and a half to, to get an idea of 
whether they think they can get more, extract more out of him, maybe with a different offensive coordinator. All right, www.draft412.com. That is the beautiful Jordan behind the bar, by the way. And she's got, she's wearing some of the uh, Draft 412 swag. So, and by the way, if you need to ask some questions, there's some shirts and some hats up here. Please ask a question. If you need to have a question, what you want to, what you want to find out about, or just just your opinion on something, let us know, and we'll we'll, uh, we'll discuss it. Um, Joe, we've talked about this several times, but what do you? What do you think this draft class has, has, has done now that's um, halfway through the year? Um, I know Washington hasn't done as much as we thought, but how do you rate the other guys, like the uh, Bentons, the Porters? Um, well, if you go through the, the list as it sits, uh, you know, Broderick Jones should have been playing from day one. As Maybe they weren't ready for that, and I know that you know, Tomlin has a habit of playing veterans, but he's the best offensive lineman they have on the team the day they drafted him. Uh, and he's proven that over the last couple of weeks. Was he ready? Probably not. They probably did the right thing. We won't see that. We won't know that because we're on the outside looking in through the fishbowl. But over the last two weeks, we've seen exactly that. We've seen dominance on the right side. If you go back and look at the game tape from last week, all their successful runs were to the right. They had a couple that broke back to the left you know, after the fact. But once they moved Chooks out and put Broderick Jones in, that line has played exceptional in the last two weeks. And I think they've got a budding star with him. Dropping to the second round, Joey Porter Jr., same thing. Look, look, these guys are going to make mistakes. They're not going to be perfect, but you'll love to see a guy who challenged himself. He went out there two weeks ago and said, put me across from DeAndre Hopkins. I want to follow him all over the field. And he was able to do that for most of the game. He did a pretty good job. You know, this past week, again, did a good job. And he's been critical in a couple of these key interceptions that that uh, Chris mentioned earlier, too, as the year's gone on. And he's just going to get better. He clearly has... The, the size, the length, and the speed to keep up with everybody and be a shutdown corner in the league. And it might just take him a year or so to get there and be that guy. I mean, even Sauce Gardner last year, as much, much herald as he was, took him a couple of weeks to you know get his sea legs you know before he became uh, the dominant player we all know him as today. Second part of that second round was Keanu Benton, and he might be the MVP of the defense this year. He stepped in when Cam Hayward went down. He's played exceptional. He looks like a veteran. Uh, the guy, his nonstop motor, you see him even he's chasing down plays 20 yards downfield. He doesn't give up on stuff. He looks impassioned when he doesn't make a play. And I think that when Hayward went down, if it were not for him, this team would look a lot different uh, than it does. I think he stepped right in and, and did a good job. And, and, again, that might go back to his Wisconsin roots and the idea that, you know, offense is defensive line. They play that kind of stuff in the Big Ten. You know, and I think Keanu Benton did a pretty good job with that. Um, third round, you know, with Washington, you're right. He hasn't blossomed like they wanted. Tight ends do take some time to, to develop. I think his blocking is there. I don't think his route tree is there. I think they're still contemplating what to do and how to use him best, and that hasn't happened yet. I think they're still working through those things. And, of course, Herbig has looked stellar. Here's a guy in the fourth round that looks like a steal. He looks like a guy you could have gotten in the second round. Um, he's made some critical plays in his limited time. I think they're using him judiciously. I think his playing time, as parsimonious as it's been for you know for the team, has really worked out well. I think they played him in the right spots in relief of Highsmith mostly. Um, and then I also think you know we're missing out on a couple of guys here. We're missing out on on Trice and Stevenson. We're not going to see them this year. Uh, Stevenson's a reserve player with a lot of positional flexibility may end up being a reserve guard or a tackle on the line. It can also spot you at center. And with Trice blowing on his knee earlier in the season, we won't see him until next year. But he's another one of these guys that had 
six foot three, over 200 pounds, a lot of length, played that Big Ten football, does, is not afraid to tackle from a corner. I think everybody was impressed with him at Latrobe. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate, but, you know, injuries happen. This is a game of injuries. you got to overcome it. So we're going to have to wait another year to see him. So I'll, I'll spin off a couple of those. I, I, I can't disagree with anything Joe said about Broderick Jones. Like that, that guy should have been starting day one. It's, it's coaching malpractice that he wasn't because I, I'd like to think that they may be even better than six and three. They, you know, maybe, or at least maybe they don't get blown out by the Niners if, if they have some kind of running game and uh, some kind of protection for Kenny Pickett early on the first couple of weeks when both of those were issues. Second pick in Porter, I, I can't complain about either. I mean, I, this guy is going to be a shutdown corner for another five or six years. And he's probably going to be a guy that always is – he's going to be a handsy guy to get penalties called on Yeah, but I, you know what? I, I, I take it as a positive, JT, that, like, he hasn't backed off from that at all. A lot of rookies would walk in and be like, oh, it's the NFL. I know they're going to be quick with flags. I agree. And they, and they wouldn't play the same style that he played in college. But you can see he's not scared, to Joe's point. He walks up and said, give, give me D-Hop. Let me have that guy. And then plays him just as physical as he played Marvin Harrison Jr. last year, right? Like, he's he's ready to, to, to be that dude. And so I'm really happy with Porter and not just because he's a Penn State guy. Um, so you, you start to slide down the list of the rest of the draft picks. Benton has been huge, to Joe's point. You know, he chases down a screenplay from behind the other day that possibly saves a touchdown. Um, and his background is important. Like, he, he was a high school state championship wrestler who just loves to maul guys. And that is the kind of attitude they've needed in that interior line, aside from just Cam Hayward, aside from guys who they've gotten out and kind of plugged holes with, like Ogunjobi. They've needed a young guy to come up. I mean, he can, he can sort of take the crown from Cam Hayward, so to speak, when Cam is ready to move on with his life's work in another year or two. Do you, so, do you compare him to Hargrave when Hargrave was here? I don't know. I, I, I'm not familiar with the with the, the size, if he's quite as big as Hargrave, but I think he can play similarly. Um, and, and they've needed that for a long time. Letting Hargrave go in retrospect was a, a pretty big mistake for that defensive front. Um, who am I forgetting for there? Herbig. Oh, Darnell Washington, I didn't mention. Darnell Washington at camp was... I saw that man. He's the size of an offensive tackle, if not larger. And I saw him running with the feet of a wide receiver. The fact that he hasn't seen more time is coaching malpractice as well. I understand he may not be all that familiar with the route concepts and that kind of stuff. Let him go out there and block. Watch, watch a run play when Broderick Jones and Darnell Washington are lined up next to each other. And just watch them absolutely manhandle the dudes across from them. That's why they've been able to run so well the past two weeks. Uh, I do worry. Like I love Pat Fryermuth again, Penn State. Uh, but Pat can't block for. Am I allowed to say it? He can't block for shit. Um, so as much as I love Pat Fryermuth, he's my dude. I, I, he's great. Put him in the slot. Let him run like a wide receiver. Let him let, let him run where Allen Robinson has been running because. He can't block, and he, he he's going to be a liability when he comes back in the run game, which is now the centerpiece of the offense. Um, let Washington go out there. Let him be the inline blocker. Let him be the extra tackle. I don't need Chooks coming in to be a tackle eligible. Let Darnell Washington eat. Um, Herbig, I think they need to seriously think about – they won't do it, but they need to seriously think about moving him inside with all these injuries. Once they get past uh, the Browns, especially, who are going to be run heavy with Watson out, 
Um, I have no problem with leaving Roberts and Robinson on the field against the Browns, you know, three out of every four downs. But you're going to have to have somebody who can cover, whether that means bringing Keanu Neal down and letting him play some inside linebacker and nickel safety or moving Herbig back inside. He's got the ability to do it. So when they drafted him, I originally thought that might be something they would do. Um, And then you get down to the, the, the last few rounds and, you mentioned Trice. What I what was unfortunate about losing Trice, but opened up a, a possibility and an opportunity, was that they go out and they get Darius Rush, who's also a rookie, um, and yeah. that guy is same mold as he's like he's a poor man's Joey Porter Jr. He played in the SEC. He knows how to play physical. He can run with guys. They haven't used him in that way yet. They've kind of just let him sit back and kind of play field safety. But once he gets ingrained in the defense. Like, you get to a point next year, especially starting with next year's camp, where you've got Porter, Trice, and Rush as your three corners. I feel really good about being able to play physical AFC North man-on-man coverage. Um, so that that would be sort of the, the breakdown and fallout of every single one of those young guys you brought up. And if I may, too, I mean, let's play – I just have to – your comment about Darius Rush is correct. I mean, JT and I were out at the Combine in Indianapolis uh, last February, and everybody wanted to see his – his, his, uh, the opposite corner from South Carolina. They wanted to see Cam Smith. Yeah. And we saw him run the 40. We saw him in practice drills. We saw him in all of just and, – and then to go and do what he did at the East-West Shrine game where he was MVP, basically, defensive MVP. I, and th- he slid to the fifth round, and I was wondering, like, why are we not – and I knew the Steelers were had looked at him, but – they were taken just a, a round before they got to Trice because they had, they had those trades and they lost a couple of picks there, and they just weren't going to be able to get him. But when he was available and they brought him on, even in that first game, he made an impact. Dropped an interception. You know, okay, great. You know, you're a rookie. You know, that kind of stuff happens. Uh, but ultimately made an impact in his first game, game and a half. So I agree with it. And that was almost like a free fifth round. I mean, they yeah. picked him up for nothing. Oh, yeah. I, the day he signed him, I, I sent you the text, and we were both like ecstatic about the uh, the signing of Rush for for basically nothing. Um, guys, we'll do one more uh, piece of the Steelers right now before we move on to the Penguins. Um, there's a big decision that has to be made in the middle of May uh, for Najee Harris, his four year to extend them to a fifth year. You have to make that decision the year before, which is a little strange, but it's the way it works in the NFL. Chris, what do you, do you think he's done enough to deserve that fifth year, or do you think the Steelers are still like mm, they may let they may let him walk after that fourth year? Uh, has he done enough to prove his first round draft status? No, I, I can't. I can't argue that he has. Uh, has he done? Can he do enough as the one B to Jalen Warren's one A, or vice versa? However, you want to plan that tandem out every single week. You know, as long as you have him under control and at a decent cost, I would. It, I would I would pick up the fifth year option because it's not so ridiculously expensive for a running back that you're really hamstringing yourself with the cap. You've seen what he and Warren can do as compliments to one another. I still think Harris has some value. I know he does. It doesn't look some weeks like he runs as hard as Warren, but nobody. I mean, I don't think anybody runs as hard as Jalen Warren. You can watch across the league. That dude is like. It's like a bowling ball rolling downhill. Go stand out in the middle of the road here. Have somebody roll a bowling ball from 7-Eleven down the hill and see if you can catch it. That's Jalen Warren. And so nobody runs as hard as him. I think Najee Harris still has the ability, once the offensive line continues to improve and they still have to make some moves, 
this offseason, upgrade from Mason Cole, upgrade from James Daniels, find another tackle. Maybe that's a lot of work to do. But I, he has been hamstrung his first few years by getting absolutely obliterated behind the line of scrimmage. So I would pick up the fifth-year option. If it were a different position where it costs you a whole lot more against the cap, I might I might hit pause on that. But I, I, from what I've seen, especially the last couple of weeks of Warren and Harris as a tandem, I don't want to keep them together. What do you think about that, Joe? So Chris has a few very valid points there. Um, obviously, the cap, you get a younger player – uh, you want to try to win while the team is young using the same format that the Kansas City Chiefs have done, uh, using it the way the Philadelphia Eagles have done. Uh, and I think Andy Weidel is going to be a big part of that, bringing him over as assistant GM. He's already started to rebuild the line in the mirror image of what he did and helped uh, uh, Howie Roseman do over in, in Philadelphia. Uh, and I think he's replicating that here. Of course, he's a Pittsburgh guy, so we're all happy he's home. And you know, we're already seeing some of the fruits of that labor both in free agency and in the draft this past year. Um, Najee's talented. There's no doubt he's talented. Was he? Was it warranted to use a first-round draft pick on him is the question. And, and, and I think that we've seen a sea change in the way the NFL has really looked at running backs in the draft. If, if you're not Ezekiel Elliott, if you're not Bijan Robinson, there's no reason for you to go out and spend a first-round draft pick. Let's just take a look at next year's you know, a class of running backs. I mean, Blake Corum, you know, Audric Estime, uh, you know, Jonathan Brooks. I mean, these guys are second, third, fourth round guys, some of which will never grow up beyond a running back by committee. And we talked about last night, Bucky Irving, the kid from Oregon, might be more valuable in the draft than, a, than well, a, you, any of the other running what, backs. That's exactly right. You see a Bucky Irving and you see the way that Detroit is using Jameer Gibbs. Uh, and in, in the way that, there, you know, it took him a while to get him into rhythm, and now the guy looks like the next Alvin Kamara. I mean, the guy really looks that good. Bucky Irving's a little smaller. He has that boomer bust look to him, right? He could be Anthony McFarland, or, you know, this guy could come out and be a poor man's Jameer Gibbs. He's a little small, but the guy could play slot receiver. The guy, you know, might be a really good piece in the same way Calvin Austin was supposed to be and hasn't really panned out that way. But I think that Harris's contract, that fifth year, you might as well keep him, see where it goes. That, that does not guarantee him a long-term contract after that. But this is a good tag team. They've done well together. And running backs get injured, and you're going to need a second. Uh, and right now, there's no one behind them. So I, I think I agree with Chris. I think they, they go ahead and pull the trigger on the fifth year. And real quick, I, I know you want to get to the other stuff, JT, but I, I think the, the last – like I mentioned Pat, Fryermuth. Uh, Fryermuth and Harris being drafted where they were. I, I really like both guys, to be honest. I know Harris has been underwhelming relative to his draft position, but I like what both of them have provided for the offense. The unfortunate part is they were drafted at a time when the line should have been rebuilt. And the last couple of years of Kevin Colbert drafts, again, as much as I love Kevin Colbert, great dude, the last couple of drafts of his just didn't – they weren't constructed the right way. You might like Najee Harris. You might really like Pat Fryermuth. But you look at those picks now and you go, man, we could have had – and you could go down the list of offensive linemen that were available at that point in time in, for both of those picks and go, my God, the entire offensive line could be rebuilt now. Broderick Jones could be the final piece in this incredible five-man unit. Yeah, but instead, about Creed Humphrey to win you. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there, there were multiple guys available at both of those slots – and they ended up going with skill position guys when they should have been rebuilding the line. Now, 
They also should have realized all the way back in like 2018 that they were going to have to start rebuilding the line, and they didn't recognize it, or they refused to recognize it for whatever reason. Yeah, I, if I could play off of that, I mean, imagine if this team had Tyler Linderbaum. Imagine if this yeah, team had Creed Humphrey. Imagine if this team had Landon Dickerson, and all of them were passed on for a tight end who is injury prone, right? And as much as he's talented, you're right. I think Colbert's Colbert's attitude going into those final years, I think he knew he was retiring, and it was a little lazy. I hate to use that word because I really appreciate what that guy's been able to do over the course of his time with the Steelers. But, yeah, okay, no one's going to criticize you for picking the running back from Alabama or the tight end from Penn State. I mean, these are things that I think people say, all right, well, that's good. It's on the – yeah, he's picking a blue-chip guy off a blue-chip team, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, I just think he made so many mistakes there, and it's just – ending up costing them now. And I think Khan and Weidel are, you know, this is their first year at it. So you, you got to give them some time to kind of rebuild. But, you know, I, look at Landon Dickerson over in, in, in Philadelphia. They basically drafted him to replace Kelsey. Kelsey stays, says, look, I'm not retiring. I'm going to play a couple more seasons. So they play him at guard and the guy's an all pro guard. Like, does that happen in the Steelers? Like, the Steelers passed on that, by the way. You know what I mean? Creed Humphrey, I was screaming at the TV saying, oh my God, please take him. He's, He's going to be an all-pro center. It's exactly what the Steelers need. And they, they passed on him, and it just is, it was frustrating. And not to indict Colbert, he's done way too many good things for this team. But I think in the end, it was he was, it felt he was like mailing he was, it in. You it, know? Well, it felt like he was trying to buy shiny objects for Ben to play with. Yeah, It really did. Instead of what they needed, which was, no, Ben, you're on your final last gasp here. We want to build a wall, rebuild a wall in front of you because you can't move anymore. Let us do that. It'll also help us get us to the next generation instead of lining up shiny objects for you to get the ball out of your hand in 2.2 seconds, which, as we all saw, worked for about three months in 2020 and then fell to pieces, right? So, I mean, that, that's what it was, is I think the, the edict from up top, and, and don't forget that it was, it, now we're really opening up Pandora's box here, but like it was Art who wanted to keep to bring Ben back in 2021. And he told... Kevin and Mike Tomlin, no, I know you guys want to move on, but it's Ben and we owe this to him. And so they gave Ben the final year and they effectively, the last couple of years of Ben, like I said, were just trying to put as many shiny objects around him as possible so that when he had to get rid of the ball quickly every single snap, they would have guys who they thought could do something with the ball rather than worrying about the guy standing in front of him and giving him more time to get rid of the ball because they said, well, hell, he can't run anyway. What the hell do we care? Uh, just get rid of the ball, get rid of the ball, get rid of the ball. And so that, that was the problem. The final few years, the owner wanted to do what Ben wanted to do rather than what was necessarily best for the team and what Kevin and Mike wanted to do. Did you want to do questions before going on? That's what I was going to say. Anybody have any Steeler questions or any comments before we go on to the Penguins? I agree with you about the drafts uh, from Kevin Colbert, okay? I and mean, I agree with you, Joe, that he kind of got lazy the last couple of years, okay? My thought process is next year, if Matt Canada's contract runs out at the end of the year, the Steelers do not retain him. My suggestion is bring in Byron Leftwich to be the offensive coordinator and bring in Mark Whipple to be an offensive assistant. I have a feeling that Glenn Thomas may be the OC at Pitt because – I think uh, uh, Frank Signetti's going to go. And if that's the case, Glenn Thomas, the offensive assistant, he was down in Arizona State with uh, Herm Edwards, and, and, and their offense was, was good down there, okay? 
So I think that that might be the case. And if I'm the Steelers, that's the direction I would go at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think the only question about Byron is can he can he do something? Can you can any OC do something with Kenny Pickett that they once did with Tom Brady? Like I, I don't know how much I don't know how much compa- comparison there is there between talent levels. I'm not. It's not against you know. It's not a knock against Byron that he got to work with Tom Brady. Like that's a positive. But I just wonder how much of what he was successful with with Brady can translate to Kenny Pickett. Okay, well, I have friends in Tampa, mm-hmm. okay, and they tell me, that, and they're connected with the team, that it was Brady that was holding them back, Byron, okay? So it was Brady, 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 okay? And that was, that he was like, he was, he was the coach of the team, okay? So maybe, I think Byron Leftwich could be a good offensive coordinator, and if you bring in Mark Whipple's an assist, offensive assistant. I love assistant, that idea, by You know what I mean? Because, I, because he Whipple works is, with Kenny Pickett. Well, and, and, he, and he, he was the guy that when Ben was young helped bring Ben along. Yes, exactly. So I, I, exactly. I, I, I like the Whipple idea. I think that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. If Mark's still interested in doing it, you know, he's kind of... I have a feeling, like I said, I think Glenn Thomas is going to go go to Pitt because, I mean, <clears throat> Frank, or I'm sorry, Pat Narduzzi would be a fool if he didn't hire him. Because, uh, I mean, he coached under Herm Edwards. And anybody who coaches under Herm Edwards is, 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 you know, at least a, a reasonably decent coach. Yeah. You know? uh, Pat had his opportunity to have his OC of the future a couple years ago. And he forced him out the door. And he went to Texas. And now he's at UNLV with the best group of five offense in the country in Brennan Marion. Um, uh, as an aside to whether Pat does stupid things or not. Um, so... <laughs> I mean, it, I, I don't necessarily have, a, like, Byron left, which you're right. I think it's a great suggestion. It's definitely someone worth talking to. And I think the idea of Whipple as, like, a high-level quarterback consultant is a great idea, too. I would also caution that we wait until the season's over. There's going to be a lot of guys out there that maybe head coaches that could step back and be an OC. Um, and, and the one thing, you mentioned Ken Dorsey. That's not a terrible idea, I don't think, although we've seen Allen regress this year. The one thing I would say is, Let's not get caught up in the what is unfortunately one of Mike Tomlin's shortcomings in that he likes to go with guys that he knows. He likes to go with his guys. I'd love to see somebody different come in from the outside, somebody whose name we, we hear and we go, oh, who the hell is that guy? You know, and, and he brings in some new ideas and refreshes things just a little bit uh, because that's honestly what this offense needs. If you're really going to actually get anything out of Kenny Pickett in the final two years or three years of his rookie deal, you're going to have to bring in somebody who can do more than Matt Canada's vanilla offense is done. All right, we're going to transition to the boys of winter right now. Um, Joe, we'll start with you. Penguins started the season looking about as bad as they possibly could look, and they've won. Now they've won five in a row. Seems like everything's clicking. What do you think the role? Who, who are the role Penguins? Are they, what's going on now? Are they at the beginning of the year, or are they somewhere right in the middle? Well, this is the real Penguins, right? You're going to see inconsistency up and down the ice all season long. There's going to be stretches of games where you're shaking your head saying, how did they lose that? And then there's going to be West Coast swings where they beat two of the three best teams in the uh, Western Conference, and you're shaking your head about that too. How did that happen? And I think part of it, part of it is there's a reticence from the head coach to change systems, and I get that. You know, oftentimes coaches are locked into systems. They like the way that they play. But you have to have personnel that can dictate whether that's a system you can play in. And, you know, seven years ago, five years ago, even three years ago, perhaps the Penguins were set to be able to play in this system that that Sullivan has. 
with the age in the team and the age in particular in the blue chip, very expensive superstars, you've got to play a different way. And this is a team that's not accustomed to playing a 1-2-2 defense, you know, or a left-wing lock defense. This is a team that loves to go north and south. They love to press, and, and I think it's instinctive for them. It's hard for them to, to change that. But in the last couple of weeks, you've heard that. You've heard it from Sidney Crosby. You've heard that from other leaders on the team recognizing their age, recognizing the general lack of speed on the team. And so I'm hoping that there's an opening there to say, you know what, we're we're going to tweak this. And I, I liken it to, you know, fans of WVU um, 15 years ago when Rich Rod was there. You know, he ran a very specific schematic offense. And if you didn't have a quarterback that could run, that offense was going to fail. And he got hired and he went to Michigan. And Michigan doesn't need to run a gimmicky offense like that. So he ran an offense with guys that failed. You know, and then at the very, very tail end, he got Denard Robinson. But he was already out the door. And it was a, a you know, a shit show for, for 10 years in Ann Arbor. Sullivan should not fall victim to the same thing. Sometimes it's okay to change. And I think we're, we've seen that over the last five or six games. Can he carry it through 82 in the playoffs? We'll see. And I think that they, you know, this team goes where the injuries take them. There's a lot of age here, and they are so desperately thin at goaltender. You know, I look, every team is a team with force. So you can look down the street at Edmonton and see where they are right now uh, and realize they've got all the talent in the world, and, and they can't put five wins on the you know, uh, on, on those, they're firing guys and trying to make trade. It's ridiculous. And this is a team that should be challenging for the Stanley Cup. So this is what we expected going in, inconsistency, especially in the beginning. And let's face it, the one thing that I haven't mentioned yet that's important is that 50% of the players on this team weren't on this team last year. It takes time to build chemistry with your new line mates. It takes time to learn a new system. You're playing in a new building. Sometimes you're playing in a new time zone. You've got family things that are going on behind you. You've only been in town for two months, a lot of moving parts. Give these guys some time to gel, and I think maybe we'll see that. And there might be an early season trade. We've heard Raquel's name. We've heard Riley Smith's name. We've heard some names out there of people that maybe moved uh, Garland's name on the way back in that would improve the defense, try to fill some holes. Uh, but this team, I mean, Dubas has done a really good job with the lack of, the lack of cap space he's had to bring in some really good talent to give this chance, give the team a chance at a playoff run. It's not a Stanley Cup run, but it's a playoff run. Yeah, I, I, you make a really good point. It's been under-talked about, Joe, about the adjustment period. And we're kind of through that, right? Like, they come in, they spend a month in camp, and then the first month of the season is just about the rearview mirror now. And it's where we've you – know, and they get out on a long road trip where they really start to get to know one another and they start to gel as a team. And that's where we saw the, the, the turn. Uh, in their play over the last few weeks. I think that's that, that's a really good point that's been undersold and hasn't really been pointed out yet by many people. I also think that this team, it, look, as long as Sidney Crosby can do things like he did last night, like they're always going to be in the discussion. As long as Evgeny Malkin still has it in there, and we've seen he still has it in there, they're going to be a part of the discussion. What they did was they went out and pulled out. I mean, Kyle Dubas, it was a video game trade. It really was. It was a video game trade that they wouldn't let you pull off. You would get the big red X in the middle of the screen, and they'd say, no, you can't make this trade. When he went out and got rid of all of his bad contracts and his backup goalie for a Norris Trophy winning defenseman, who is the reason they are generating the offense they are right now. Go back and watch 
you know, that ridiculous Sidney Crosby deflection last night. Go back and watch uh, the Crosby to Gensel goal on Saturday night where Eric Carlson comes flying through the neutral zone at 110 miles an hour and everyone has to back off and it creates just enough space for Crosby to feather that pass all the way from up on the right side of the zone, up, up way above the circle, all the way down to Gensel on the left side post, and he taps it in. Um, Eric Carlson does that. He creates that kind of space, and he produces on his own, too. He's tied for the league-leading goals by defensemen right now. He's top 10 in uh, defensemen assists right now. He's going to produce like that all year. Crosby's on pace for 111 points. So they have the high-end talent to, at the very least, get to the playoffs. What I love is that I do think they can put something together this spring if they're healthy at the time and their goaltending doesn't make a mess of itself, which is always the one question that, that has to be asked because they've got a third line again. Like That third line, talk about guys, you mentioned Broderick Jones for the Steelers, guys that should have started on the roster day one redeems a horn. Should it, this guy looks like I don't want to say a completely different player in his second stint with the Penguins, but all of a sudden his speed and his his stick handling they, they match his size. Like he he was a fourth liner at best when he was here before, a swing man, a thirteenth forward. He has come back and is now a legit third line guy who can go to the front of the net and cause chaos. Um, can skate with the puck when you need him to, and that third line as a whole. I think Josh Yoey wrote about it today. Lars Eller gives it that sense of responsibility, right? So Eller's been there. He's won a cup with Washington. He's been through the battles against the Penguins. You get Eller, Zahorna, and O'Connor, and you've got enough speed in O'Connor. You've got enough size in Zahorna. You've got the smarts in Eller. You've got a complete third line that even when they don't score a goal, which they didn't do last night at even strength, they still dominate puck possession to such an extent that you go, okay, that's fine. I, I don't need them to score a goal. They played a perfectly level game at even strength. Didn't give up any goals, didn't score any goals, but they were so dominant in puck possession. I want to say like seven high danger chances to one or two against that they they can help lend some balance to that forward lineup in that it doesn't have to be Crosby and Malkin. It doesn't have to be Carlson on the back end. And one final thing about the Carlson effect that I forgot to mention Chris Letang doesn't have to be that guy trying to do everything for the back end now anymore either. He's actually a legit 200-foot defenseman and is playing like it. Like, we're seeing responsibility in Chris Letang's game, which I don't think we've ever seen. So, you know, put all of it together, and it's why I think the expectations have to be more than just getting back to the playoffs. It's got to be win at least the series. And if, if they were to simply just get to the conference finals, I would feel like they've got one more good run in them before the big three break up. Which is is my hope. That's my expectation. Is get me one more run to the Cup final with the big three, and I'll. I'll oops, sorry, I will. I will be satisfied with the final few years of their career. You mentioned something about the injuries before. What do they do if they do get an injury with the salary cap situation the way it is? I mean, they, like you mentioned, uh, Ra Raquel getting maybe traded. A guy like that brings back another player at four or five million dollar guy, but what do they do late, like during the trade deadline? Trade deadline this year when they have a couple injuries. Um, hopefully, Jari stays healthy. He's already lost the backup Nadelkovich for for a long time. So, what, what what could they do at that point? Well, there's a few things they've already done. Uh, the first is is they've loaded up 
Wilkes-Barre with NHL quality, experienced third and fourth line guys, some of which can play an extended period on a second line. Um, like we've seen, you know, I want to say four, but they just, who did they call up yesterday too? I mean, they've, they've got guys down there that not only can they play, but they can also trade. There are going to be teams that are going to be looking for some of these guys in the minors that might be willing to pay for something uh, down the road as part of that. And, and I think secondly, to answer that question about the deadline is, it depends on where the Penguins are. You know, are they buyers or sellers? And if we presume that they're going to be buyers, you know, there's a few guys out there. I was shocked to see Jason Zucker sign with Arizona at less than market rate. And as a rental player, and you're only having you know, find room for like a million by that time of the season, seven hundred thousand dollars. There are ways that they can move money around to get a Zucker back. Now, Arizona might want a little bit more than what, what the Penguins can afford to give them in terms of draft picks. Uh, but ultimately, there's a player out there. Or uh, Garland that I mentioned earlier. I mean, Vancouver's looking to move on from a defenseman, and the Penguins are really struggling at that 5-6 spot right now. P.O. Joseph hasn't worked out. Um, you know, and, you know, a guy like Rue Weedle is a quad A player. You're going to get with him what you get from him. He's a spot player. Um, and I think that, you know, those kind of things, we might see a move uh, like that. But I'm not going to put anything beyond Kyle Dubas. I have been pleasantly surprised if not shocked about what he's been able to do in the last three or four months since he's walked into the Penguins front office. And my hat's off to the guy. I mean, this was a really desperate situation, and he's played it very smartly. You know, so my sense is a lot of it will depend on where they are when they get there, how close they are. Teams don't like moving goaltenders at the trade deadline. You usually get them in the offseason. So my guess is they're, they're going to be stuck where they are with their with their goaltending situation. And Jari when he's been healthy, has played pretty well. He's got three shutouts already. Leads the league. You know, so it's, it's hard to argue against that. But, you know, is Helberg really the guy for five or six games? <laughs> I don't know. Is Blomquist, I mean, some of the guys are going to bring up, I, I don't know. We'll see. Um, what would I like to see them do? I guess, you know, it would be it would be great if they can get one more piece. And that, that piece might be on defense. But I will say, I've got to echo what Chris has said. Chris Letang has been selfless. You know, in, I don't want to call it a demotion, but in his change of roles, because those Crosby and Eric Carlson plays that we were talking about, as much as I love Chris Letang and he's going to be a Hall of Famer, he would have missed those nets. He does not have an accurate shot. He is fast. He's a, he just, Carlson is making such a difference on the power play, such a difference with that top line. And Letang being willing to play penalty kill, Latang being willing to play second fiddle on a second line power play, I, I think that only helps the team. And then these guys who are both aging and both are injury prone don't have to be on the ice 27 minutes a game. They can both be on the ice 20 minutes a game, lowering that lead, you know, and that, I think that helps with their age, longevity, and their injury prone status. And we're all around the same age, and I heard this discussion the other day. It made me think, you grew up with Lemieux. You grew up with Lemieux. Is it? Is Crosby there? Is he? Is he in that? Is he where you think that maybe he's a better captain than Lemieux ever was? I mean, he's a different captain. I, I, I don't. I don't think it's fair to compare the two. And it's not to shoot down the question. It's just they're so different. Like, and even by virtue of the fact that, like, Crosby, it, from the very basic of Lemieux came here, not even speaking the language, all that stuff. It took him a few years to warm to the task. Uh, to Crosby being sort of groomed for this from the age of like 13 right like everybody knew he was going to be this kind of guy I like think Bethard, no. yeah I mean Crosby just has 
that natural leadership ability in him. You can see it. Uh, not that Lemieux didn't, but it, you know, for those that aren't old enough to remember, like it took Lemieux a few years to get there. He, he wasn't happy at first because he was dealing with a constant coaching carousel and a constant goaltending carousel. I mean, it was, what, four years before they finally brought somebody like Paul Coffey in to give him somebody else with some level of offensive ability on par with his. And then it took another year just to get into the playoffs. And then it took another year after that to really start to put things together. And then he starts coming down with the major back issues. And then all of a sudden, Hodgkins. And so, you know, I just think it's they're too, they're so different. Lemieux did not hit that level of, I guess, maturity. And I don't want to say selflessness because he wasn't selfish, but he didn't hit the levels until he was, until he was winning the cup, really. So he would have been, what, like 26, 27 at that time that Crosby had when he walked into the league, basically. So, I mean, I, I think it's just their names will go up there in the rafters someday immediately next to each other where they belong. I think they go up there. There's there's the four of them up there. There's 66. There's 87. 68 will go up there in February, and 71 will be up there someday too. And those are like the Mount Rushmore. And so it, it's it's hard for me to differentiate because their personalities are each so different. Um, is Crosby a better leader? Maybe. But, I mean, Lemieux's arguably the greatest single individual talent if you had a, a, a game of one-on-one hockey on a full 200-foot sheet of ice, Mario Lemieux would just absolutely punk anyone else who's ever played the game. So I, I think there's a, th- that's the difference for me is Lemieux's the most single, brilliantly talented player I've ever seen. Crosby's just built to be that quiet leader. I was always under the uh, impression with Crosby and Lemieux, if, and you can't really compare it because it's two different um, decades, but if Lemieux had Crosby's work ethic, Lemieux might have scored 250 points a year. That's what, you know, the, the big hit around thing is. And if Crosby got to play with, you know, goalies dressed like we are right now, right. He, he would have probably scored, you know, 100. Yeah, I mean, if you swap eras, I'd love to see what the difference Like, if you swap eras, I, I think Sidney Crosby is Steve Eiserman with twice as many goals, right? And Mario Lemieux is, I don't know, I, I can't even come up with a quality comparison. I don't think there's anybody. That's what I mean by, like, I don't think there's been anybody else with his skill set and just the way he was built in the history of the game um the fact that you know there is he you know there is the 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 old stuff about oh you know how do you know when training camp started well i stopped putting french fries on my salad or i stopped smoking cigarettes or whatever like it was a different era back then um but I, i just the fact that that would get confused i think in some cases for laziness because he had these huge loping strides where like he would take three strides and be halfway down the ice. Other guys would be, you know, sitting there trying to get moving. And he was just, he, he, he floated on the ice. Like, not to get too poetic here, but um, I, I, that, that's why I think there's always going to be a misunderstanding about Lemieux's work rate, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. Any questions on the Penguins before we go on to uh, everybody's favorite topic, the boys of summer, who... Uh... <laughs> Well, there's a guy with a Bonds jersey, so he might have something to say about well, that's it. That's my son. That's why he's got the Bonds jersey. <laughs> but, um, I got a good joke for you guys for the Pirates. Okay. It was this kid. He was in, this kid was in divorce court, right? And the judge says to the kid, son, I can't make my mind up who I want you to live with, your mommy or your daddy. And the, and the kid says, your honor, I don't live with either one of them. They beat me. 
And then uh, the judge says, well, son, who do you want to live with? He said, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they don't beat anybody. Nah, bro. <laughs> that will be La Ralph's last comment. Of the day. <laughs> that, that joke just killed it. Ralph's dumb. Get him out of the car. Just go. go. I don't like you. You can stay. But, Come but, back. But, but Chris, real, real fast on, on the Pirates. Are they on? I know that everybody always says they're on the right track. It's Paul Skeens. And me, me and Joe went at back and forth with this. Uh -huh. Was Paul Skeens the pick, or should they have taken um Oh no, I love I love schemes as the pick. Like I I, I mean, you've got to have if you're going to do anything. Well, and look, the, the first big hurdle is get back to the postseason. Mm -hmm. Once you get there, you've got to have at least two big dogs in your rotation, preferably three. Um, they have schemes. I, I'll believe that Mitch Keller can be consistently at that level when he actually is consistently at that level, and then you hope they go out and find somebody else or one of these young guys develops. Um, you know, you had to. Cruz would have been nice. Cruz, I don't think, was as necessary to go out and get as Skeens was. And Skeens may only give you, like, five good years. Like, he may be Strasburg 2.0. He may break down a couple of times. Um, and if that's the case, that's why you got to strike now while the proverbial iron is hot. Um, you've got to go out and make those peripheral moves. Like, I'll make the comparison of when they went out and got Burnett, when they went out and got Liriano. They got guys that we all looked at and said, what are they going to do with these guys? And they turned into something, right? You have to go out and find those guys now, this offseason. Find those reclamation projects and hit on them, and you'll have something to help drag all the youngsters along. Um, I think that's the key to this offseason. If it requires spending a little bit more money, then spend a little bit more money. We know you got it. Um, and if you don't got it, then you'll get it when you start to win games and people come back to the ballpark. And I know a couple of us guys um, in draft four one two go back and forth on this. The one guy doesn't want to see us. We have a ton of prospects. But he doesn't want to see us move prospects because he said whenever we were um, we had the big seasons in fifteen and sixteen that we we didn't move these guys. Well, but I would argue back that like some of them had to be moved, right? To to get some of the pieces that ended up like. The 2013 wildcard game is remembered for what? It's remembered for Russell Martin hitting that home run off of Johnny Cueto. You went out and signed Russell Martin, but you went out and got Marlon Byrd, for example, because you were willing to give up prospects. You got other guys to build around the young core pieces because you were willing to give up prospects. Jim Rutherford used to say it when he was GM of the Penguins, or maybe it was even Ray Shiro before him, but they both had the same idea, the same line of thinking, which is, Prospects are an asset, just like anything else. Just like money is an asset, like a star player is an asset, like a coach is an asset. And I'm going to use those assets however I see fit. It's why Shiro and then Rutherford after him were both so willing to deal all those young defensemen that they had drafted year after year after year after year to get what they needed. Same thing holds true in baseball. You can hoard all the prospects you want. You're going to have to use them at some point, whether at the major league level or to go get what you need at the major league level at that time. You're not going to be able to line it up so that all the prospects hit at the same time. Uh, you could try to, and, and maybe you'll be some superstar front office like they have down in Tampa that manages to always recycle and recycle and recycle. But I'd be more willing to trade some prospects for guys that can help me hit now, which, again, I think is what this offseason should be for. Joe, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, well, I'd like to go back to the Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens. Yeah, we went back and forth with that for yeah, a while. I mean, I look, I, I will reserve the right to say that I'm wrong <laughs> to, just out of the gate based on the Scott Boris situation with Dylan Cruz. 
I mean, this, the pirates just can't deal with him as an agent. And I, I recognize that that's a hurdle and likely made it crystal clear that Paul Skeens was the guy. At the end of the day, Paul Skeens is compared to a generational talent like Steven Strasburg. Can't argue against the pick. I mean, who's going to argue about an ace like that if he, be, if he turns into that? We've already seen the guy's got the talent for that. But he's going to play 35 games a year. Dylan Cruz gives you 150 games in a year at a position where they are woefully undermanned in, in the outfield, who was compared to Andrew McCutcheon at the low end and Bryce Harper at the top end. That's not a bad first pick overall for a team that lacks offense, that lacks power, and lacks outfielders. For me, I thought that that was the, the bigger of the holes to fill, knowing that they do have pitching talent in the minors. Now that none of them are Paul Skeen's pitching talent, but they're Mitch Keller pitching talent, right? And I think they could have filled in those voids a lot easier than it is if taking Bryce Harper off your team. In this case, I think Dylan Cruz might be that guy. And the fact that he's going to play 150 games versus 35, and he won't have to worry about a Tommy John or anything like that. I would have invested in Dylan Cruz, but if I couldn't because of Scott Boris, I'd get why they did. I'm just trying to make the legitimate and logi the logical argument as to why I would have done it. And I'm not saying they're going to regret it because Paul Skeens could be the next Garrett Coley, may end up being that guy. But at the end of the day, I want 150 games versus 35 games every year all the time if I can get it. And we really don't have any. Um, our outfield in the minors is pretty it's, – it's slim. We have a ton of infielders. We have a lot of pitchers like you mentioned. Um, we don't really have a blue-chip outfield prospect, so to speak. Um, that could really, you know, it's a couple of the guys we've brought up, like Najiba Smith, and they're not going well, to. We saw them this year. We saw Jack Sawinski, right? I mean, that's who we have in the minors, right? I mean, do we have any, I mean, name, a, name an outfielder in the minors that you think is going to start on this team one day. It's a good argument, though, because Chris made a good point, too, that when you do get in the playoffs, and that's, that's what they want to do, you can't go into the playoffs with, um, Luis Ortiz or a Mitch Keller starting game one against, you know, how, I'm not saying Baumgartner now, but how we did back in the day. Baumgartner, it was a good problem Arietta. to have. It was a good problem to have. Oh, 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 we, we settled for Paul Skeens. Right. Oh, oh, the humanity, right? I mean, it's Well, I think it's, it's just okay. a philosophical difference, too. Like, it's much like when, when we talk about rebuilding an NFL roster. Like, you, I think that you should start with the foundation first, which is the offensive line. And in, as, in so much as how am I going to build a contender in baseball, my thinking is I want to build from the rotation out. And, but I understand what you're saying in so much as, well, no, I want to build from the lineup out because you can talk to me all you want about success in October being dependent on pitching. You've got to get there first. And if you want to get there, well, you, you need offense. Look, look at Atlanta this year as a prime, as a prime example. What, do they have Great. 200 home runs or whatever? Well, right. ridiculous. Great pitching. It fell apart in October uh, despite the great pitching. But the offense, look at Texas. Offense, right? You have the two best offensive teams in Major League Baseball. They both got deep into October, and Atlanta's case had the best record in baseball. So um, I think it's just a philosophical difference about how you want to build your club. They're all good points. Um, I know when we, we were writing about the draft back in um, June, we were – I wanted Dylan Cruz. That was the pick. Then when he takes Skeens, it's, it's – like you said, it's philosophical. You're getting a, you're getting a um, generational player both ways, but – to me, I mean, I, I see both sides, but I still would have loved to have that outfielder with, and have Reynolds, you know, playing in the left field, left field, and you'd have a great outfield right there. Um, 
but I get both ways. You got to have a starting pitcher coming into the playoffs that that could that could take a game like a game one, especially um, even in a wild card on our best of three. You still want to jump out. And we went through that a couple years in a row with Cueto. I'm oh, not Cueto, but uh, Baumgartner and Arietta. I mean, we couldn't. It was gone. We were we were behind the eight ball right away. Shut down, right? Any Penn State fans here before we get going? Any Penn State fans? Uh oh. Okay, there's a Penn State fan. Chris, one question. Chris is a, a Penn State guy, and there's one question I have. As, as an outsider, I'm a, I'm a Pitt guy, which I'm, we're two and eight, so I can't really say much right now. But I talked to a lot of people that are Penn State fans. What is your take of, of James Franklin? Like, what, what, overall, what do you think he's, what his problem is? Well, I, I mean, he, he, James Franklin is what he is, which is a 10 win coach in a division that has Michigan and Ohio State in it. Like, he had his best chance. This year was his last best chance to prove that he could beat at least one, if not both of those two, and get into the, the four-team playoff. The four-team playoff will never exist again after this year. So Penn State should be in the conversation more often than not going forward because they annually should be somewhere in the top 10 to top 15 at the very least. Um, that being said, it's not going to be the same. Like, they're not going to play Michigan and Ohio State the same year again for I don't know how long. Uh, it, it might not even be on a future schedule yeah, they right don't now. play either next year, right? Uh, because you've got all these teams from the Pac-12 uh, Pac coming in. So you might play Wisconsin and Oregon one year, and then Washington and Michigan the next year. My point is, that that has flown the coup. Like, he will forever go down, whether he finds more success in the future or not, as the guy who couldn't beat Ohio State and Michigan when it mattered most. So I don't think you can do anything about that now. I also don't think that given the level of talent they have outside of quarterback and offensive line, and the quarterback's now a huge question mark as well, to be honest, that they could have done much better. I, I, and that rests on him as well, right? Like, I get that. He's got to go out and find better players. He's got to be responsible for actually – this is the team that once had Allen Robinson and Chris Godwin, and they, they've had talent at wide receiver – the fact that they weren't able to secure more talent at the wide receiver position is why they are where they are. It's why they can't compete with Ohio State uh, or Michigan. So I, I think as far as Franklin goes, there leaves a lot to be desired on game days. We saw the two-point conversion attempts this past week yeah, at inopportune times. It just made no sense at that point. And then you saw the play calls once they did go for two. Uh, if he can out-recruit himself, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, he's still worth keeping around. And I think if he goes out and finds the right people, he can out-recruit his own game day mismanagement. Um, I always look at it from this, this perspective, too, of, okay, if you're going to get rid of that guy, tell me who you have in mind to take over. It's not to say you can't fire somebody until you find the replacement, but you better have an idea and you better have, better have a short list of people that you know can be better than him. It's the same thing with people at Pitt who say, Oh, I can't believe Narduzzi. He's cutting down his own players. This is he's two. He's going to end up two and ten this year. This is awful. Well, look back at Narduzzi's track record. Now this is only his second losing season in what eight or nine years, and he's had some of the best, some of the most consistent run of pit football since the early '80s. Like it or not, Pat Narduzzi's been at the helm of that. He may not be the primary man responsible for it more often than not, but he's been the head coach for it. So tell me who you're going to get that's going to be better than Pat Narduzzi, or at least give me a short list of people that could be better than him. Same thing. Each of these two teams, I kind of look at them, they're, they're traveling very similar paths. They've topped out. They, they've reached their max in the last few years. And 
I don't think either one of these guys is necessarily the coach to get them over the hump. But I don't know who is. Like, I don't know who you're going to go out and find that all of a sudden takes Penn State from being the consistent 9-10 and 10 win team who's talking about, you know, playing the Cotton Bowl or something to that team that wins 11 or 12 and is in the playoff or in the top four, or number one in the country. I don't know who you're going to find as, as opposed to Narduzzi who can take Pitt from being a consistent 8 or 9 win team to winning 10 every single year and always being in contention for the ACC championship. And like it or not, like, I think that's just the truth with both programs. We don't want to hear it as fans of either one or maybe both in a few, in a few cases, but that's what they are. They are what they are. The only difference between them, though, is like you mentioned next year to 12 teams, Penn State has a legit chance year in and year out to be in the playoffs where Pitt's going to battle and they're going to they're gonna struggle for a while now. I think um, me and Joe talk about this all the time. They, they have some talent at Pitt. They don't use the talent, right? Joe, explain Talk about what we talk about all year long with Rodney Hammonds and the Gavin Bartholomew. Well, I mean, if you just look at I mean, the minute they hired Frank Signetti, I mean, that was such a Narduzzi move. I mean, Signetti plays a 1990s San Francisco 49ers <laughs> offense, and, and that's what he runs. I mean, and this was a retread. He didn't do well the last time he was here. He's not doing well this time. He didn't do well at Boston College. He didn't do well. I don't know why they thought that this was a fit. In college, you have to score points. You have to put up 30 points a week to win consistently in, in, in the college game these days. So it was just a really bad hire. It was a la, you know, Watson from a couple of years ago. And then, you know, Heather stepped in and was like, no, no, you got to pick a, a, a real offensive coordinator. And then Whipple happens and look, you know, they're in the Peach Bowl and the Kenny Heisman and, you know, you got Jordan Addison and all that kind of fun stuff. He leaves and it goes right back to 1990s Youngstown. It's like, I just don't get it. It's just so outdated. How do I know that? You know that. And Chris know that. And the people in this room know that, and how Pat Narduzzi doesn't know that, I have no idea. <laughs> but James Franklin is a great recruiter with an excellent program around him. And I, I hate to say it this way, but making the playoffs next year isn't going to be the same thing as making the playoffs this year or years before. Right. When it was two teams, one and two, playing one another, that was something. And then four teams, it was like, you know, that's, that's pretty good. But I think the same thing is going to happen – it's basically the NFL playoff system on steroids. You get a bunch of wild card teams. Like, do we really need to see the number 12 team and these number one teams have a bye? And it's just, it's basically the NFL schedule that they're playing. And so I think that fans will be disillusioned and disenchanted by that, thinking that it actually means something. In the same way, we all get excited when our team makes a New Year's Day six bowl. Well, unless you're playing in the playoffs, no one gives a shit. Like, it really, like, I, I, I honestly, did anybody care that Michigan State beat Pitt in, the, in the, the Peach Bowl? And all these guys, their players, Kenny Pickett sat out. Yep. You know, they, they were playing without their quarterback. You know, and, and you get, it, it's just a different game, and the game has been ruined in many instances. And I get it. You know, these guys are making professional business decisions to sit out, and coaches are fired, and guys with a transfer portal, and free transfers, and all this kind of stuff. It's a free agency, and the NCAA has lost control of it. And I think that even though it looks appealing that we're going to have a, you know, a group of 12 playing against one another, at the end of the day, you're going to see a lot of you know, Ole Misses versus Penn States, and then whoever they go on to play is going to play Georgia and get blown out. Yeah, it'll keep you interested in the same way you know, it's interesting to watch an, an NFL game, but I think it's going to be too much, too long, and some of these guys are going to opt out anyway. So now you're going to play with, you. hey, we made we made the playoffs, but I'll see you guys. Like Brock Bowers, for example. You've got this tight end, all-world, top five pick next year. 
probably the best tight end to come out in a long time. He gets injured. He has ankle surgery. He's won two national championships in Georgia. Right. Why in God's name are you going to come back and play for a third? You don't need that. Nope. Just go practice for the combine. Go get your top five money and get out of Dodge. You're not going to play. Yeah, I think in Bauer's case, it's a really good point. I think in a lot of other players' cases, though, like if you let's say you get in as like a, a fifth-ranked team, right, and you've got a chance to win a couple of games and go to a national championship, I think it, it will encourage some guys to stay involved. Now, again, I, there are going to be those exceptions, and, and Bowers, I think, is the exception. Um, I think for the most part, like as much as well, I... Well, there was McCaffrey, and then there was Boza, and now there'll be Bowers and other guys, too. And, and that's what I think you lose. And really. the poster boy is Jake. No, no, no. You, but... I, I, think, I think with McCaffrey, like, if, let, let's, let's, let's rewind the clock and say there's a 12-team playoff back then, and Stanford gets to be in it. I think McCaffrey plays, right? Like, he doesn't dodge a bowl game, or he dodges the bowl game, because the bowl game means absolutely nothing. He plays in, in that first game of the 12-team playoff because, well, Stanford's got a chance to, I don't know, maybe they're playing a home game, right? He wants to play in front of the home fans one last time. And he's got a chance to go on to a bowl game after that where the team's going to get some huge, massive payout. And now in the days of NIL, who knows? Maybe he gets a payout, too, for winning that game. Um, you know, so I, I do think it will encourage some guys. I think Bowers, you make a good point because they've already won the title twice. Like, what the hell does he have left to play for? Yeah. Um, but I think there will be other opportunities where we'll see guys play. Um, and I just, I, I don't know, I'll take as, 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 I guess, white bread as Ole Miss Penn State in a, in a random, you know, in the Outback Bowl in the playoff, first round of the playoffs maybe. Like, I'll take that over Kent State and Eastern Michigan in the Bahamas Bowl, right? Like, it, no doubt. It, no so, doubt. you know, give me the high, give me more high-level football. I'll, I'll still watch the Bahamas Bowl. Uh, but, you know, I'll take the high-level football over the, the low. sixth round of the JT and I are scouting. Yeah, exactly. Game, so shut up. We'll be watching yeah, too. Middle Tennessee yeah, State. Yeah. Uh, as for Pitt, I, I want to go back to that for just a second because I, I think there's two things that, that you brought up that are really interesting about Pitt and where they're at. Like, one is the idea that they've gone with transfer quarterbacks now a couple of years in a row. And they've left themselves, I don't want to say bereft of quarterback talent, but young quarterback talent that's ready to take the reins of an offense. They haven't developed anyone, which means now, unless they go back to the portal again, and it's bitten them in the ass two years in a row already, you could say three times in the last two years, given the fact that Slovis wasn't what they thought he was going to be, and neither Djokovic especially, nor Veyer has really been what they expect him to be. Um, that, you know, they, if they go back to the portal again, there's A, no counting on the fact that Pat's going to get the right guy, and B, once they bring him in, that they're not going to be loath to get away from that guy if he doesn't. Like, they gave Dracovic two games too many this year because he was the hometown kid, and they brought him in, and they want to prove to other transfer quarterbacks in the future that they're going to stick by their guy. But they needed to, they needed to pull the plug early, and they needed to not, as much as I like Bayer, they needed to not have him as a stopgap. They needed to go straight to Yarnell or whoever the next guy is going to be to let him play and develop. Because now you've got a 2-10 and 10 or 3-9 and nine season with what to show for it. Yeah, nothing. Absolutely no quarterback development. I think the problem with the quarterback development in both those, it goes again back to Signetti. What quarterback, what receiver, what running back wants to play for this guy? Right. Because in the running back system, he uses a committee. Yeah, Rodney so like, Hammond's by far their best running back. So, so you lead right into my second point about Pitt, which is, and I said it earlier, they had their offensive coordinator of the future two years ago. They had, you, you mentioned that, that Kenny Heisman season 
and the Bolitnikoff Award for Jordan Addison. The guy that Jordan Addison invited to come with his family to Kansas City for the draft was Brendan Marion. Brendan Marion came in, and everywhere Brendan Marion has gone, he might have rubbed some people the wrong way, including Pat Narduzzi, but he came in and made the entire team better because he made the offense that much better. I mean, he took high schools in rural central Pennsylvania who hadn't won more than two games in half a decade, and all of a sudden they were playing in district championship games. Um, he took uh, teams that had done nothing, like Pitt. They were sort of lost in the wilderness on offense. He comes in. Mark Whipple was a large part of it, too. But he comes in, and all of a sudden, you've got Pickett to Addison, and Addison's winning a Bolitnikoff and going on to do what he did now with Minnesota. And put him at UNLV. UNLV hasn't won nine games in at least 20 years. And they win this weekend. They'll be in the Mountain West Championship game. Because Brennan Marion takes his offense out there, and he finds a different tweak to it in every single place that he goes. And you're seeing concepts and aspects of it stolen by NFL coaches now. You look out on the field on any given Sunday at any NFL game, Belichick has taken concepts from the go-go offense. Uh, the Bengals and Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow have taken concepts from his offense. Everybody is stealing from Brennan Marion. Yeah, Miami is, is a great example. Yeah. You've got two running backs on the field who can both rip off a 70-yard run. Now it helps you got Tyreek Hill, obviously. That helps everybody in every concept. But, like, Marion will find guys. First of all, he'd be a great recruiter because he's from the area. He went to Greensburg, Salem. He knows Pennsylvania. He's, he's also going to go out and tell kids, hey, you want to play in one of the most up-tempo, high-speed, uh, high-scoring offenses in the country? Come on. They, Pat Narduzzi utterly blew it. It is the biggest single mistake of Pat Narduzzi's tenure that he let Brennan Marion get away and go to Texas. And now, again, I like Penn State and Pitt. I'm one of those freaks who likes both teams. But if you're a Penn State fan and you really want to stick it to your pit buddies, tell them how Penn State's going to interview Brennan Marion for the OC position. And he's going to go up there and take Drew Aller and get the most out of him in that offense. I'd love to see it happen. I don't know if James Franklin will listen because I don't think he reads the tweets that I tag him in. But here nor there, um, I'm going to try my damnedest because that guy is the next great offensive coordinator in college football. After a couple years, he's going to move on. He's going to be a head coach somewhere in one of the two large conferences. From there, he's going to end up in the NFL someday. And they, they had that. They had the guy who was the key to unlocking Addison and Pickett, and they let him walk. And they had the guy who could have helped develop an offense around whoever the next quarterback was going to be. And because Pat's ego got in the way, he let him walk. It's just, it's mind-numbing. Rant and, over, and sorry. That's yeah, a, yeah any, anybody got any uh, questions before we uh, wrap it up here? All right, I don't have a question here, but I want to ask everybody. Is this another joke? No. Oh. Thank God. No. <laughs> I want to ask everybody in this room, do you accept mediocrity in your life? Tell me. Do you? No. Okay, then why does Pitt accept it? Why does the alum accept it? Why does the donors accept it? Why does the administration accept it? Okay? Why do we accept having 20,000 fans at Heinz Field or at Akershire Stadium? Why does Pitt accept this? Why does the fans accept this? So uh, I'm not Heather Like. I'm not. Uh, I'm no, not, I know that. I'm not someone I'm not who went to Pitt, but, uh, but I'm going to try and look at it from this perspective. It's more than one thing. Like, you talk about the crowd and 
they're never going to get an on-campus stadium. No, I know, I know everybody I wants no. it. I know everybody wants. You know, you, you can even take some of the land down there in South Oakland, across from the Steelers facility, across the river from the Steelers right. facility. You can build a nice little 40,000 seat stadium down there, like they've done at Cincinnati or Tulane or any of those right. places. City schools, you know, where where they they don't draw sixty thousand. You can do that. That's not going to solve the issue. You can go out and get a different head coach. That's not going to solve the issue. You can go out and keep asking the boosters for more and more and more, which they're doing with this Alliance 412. Right, yeah. They're trying to suck every dollar they can in so that they can go out and do the stuff that, for example, Dion is doing in Colorado. You can try, But it's a multi-tiered thing at this point. Like you, You're not going to turn Pitt around in five years. You're not going to turn Pitt around in ten years maybe. And so I don't want to say people have resigned themselves to mediocrity. I get what you're saying. It's frustrating to see a program that was once one of the greats. Yeah, Jackie Sherrill, Dan Marino. Right. Okay. But if you, I mean, you if know, you look at it outside, I saw of that, those days. Right. But if you look at it from outside of that window, of what like seventy five ish to like eighty four ish, right? The heydays, the right. golden era of pit football. What were they before that? What have they been since then? They've been what they are. Like and, right. and, and mediocre. Again, it, right. Yeah. So. Mediocrity is is not something they're settling for anymore. It's just what they are, and so I don't think there's too much that needs to be fixed. Yes, for them to be anything more than mediocre. Yeah, not gonna get five stars. Like Penn, stars. not gonna get them guys here. Yeah, like Penn State, they spent seventy million dollars on NIL money. Why 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 can't Pitt find a way to do that without having to go out and solicit? Like they're doing with that assurance four one two. Because because okay. because look back at the last four. Is there a donor? Who went to Pitt in the last forty yeah, years? Instead of building brand new buildings up on a hill, why don't you spend that money go and get some some athletes and recruit? I mean, Aaron Donald gave money for recruiting. Well, how come? Why why are we failing? They're, they're spending what they have. That's the problem. They're never going to be on par. They're never going to be on the level of the, the Big Big Ten and the SEC. Yeah, players. they dropped the ball on NIL, Chris. I mean, they really did. And the transfer portal. They dropped the ball several times on that. And they dropped the ball because they need to get high school recruiters. In Western Pennsylvania, like Penn State has with Paul Pelko and Terry well, Smith, what they and what they need to do is expand, like get out beyond Western Pennsylvania. Well, that too. Well, yeah, they do that. You they want to do know, Florida? Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. so they do Florida, right. Because they have one guy who goes down yeah, there, Charlie Partridge, and yes. owns it, right? Right. Exactly. Yes. They don't have the other guys to do it. They don't have the money to do it. Penn State could go into Virginia. Penn State can go up into New England. Penn State can right. go anywhere in the country. And then, what, they just got a kid from, what, Utah, I think? Yes. And so they can go anywhere in the country. They're a national name brand. As yeah. much as and they Pitt, draw 106,000 fans, too. Right. Pitt, Pitt's never going to do that. So as right. much as we look at Pitt as a name brand because we have those hazy images yeah. of the script, and right. Jackie Sherrill yeah. and, hey, and all I, that, I there and Marino and Dorset and yeah. all that dancing through our heads, nobody else remembers that anymore. I'm not calling us old, but we're old. We right. don't. We remember it. People outside of Pittsburgh don't. All they know about Pitt is the script. That's it. Yeah. And they don't they don't think of Pitt as a national championship contender or a national brand, unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. Anymore, yeah, which know. is why they need to worry more about their place in the ACC and what happens when that conference gets blown to bits in the next 10 years than anything else. All right, we've gone over here. I'm gonna, I want to thank Mike Pistelli. Uh, he's not here right now. He's the owner of this beautiful bar. Thank you for having us. Please take care of Jordan, the beautiful bartender behind the uh, bar, getting everybody their drinks and food tonight. And thank you, Chris Mack, uh, oh, thanks, for, for hanging out with us, talking sports. It was excellent. It was Appreciate a great, great time. Great time. Thank you. And uh, guys, please get on www.draft412.com. Uh, check out the profiles of the, of the players and uh, get on our, our podcast. This podcast will be up 
uh, tonight, tomorrow morning. So check out our podcast. Get on or talk sports. We're going to have um, – we've got football on there now. We're going to have some basketball, uh, hockey, baseball. Of course, we have all the profiles. And get on there and let us know what you think. And, Joe, thank you. Chris, thank you. And everybody that came on, thank you guys very much. Thank you, guys. Good job, guys.